Welcome to Manufacturing Talk Radio, your source for breaking news, business trends, and economic forecasts here and abroad that impact one-third of America's economy. And now your hosts, Lou Weiss and Tim Grady. Welcome everyone back to Manufacturing Talk Radio. My name is Tim Grady. I have with me my co-host, Lou Weiss. We're fired up today. We've got a lot of exciting shows that are posted up on our website, mfgtalkradio.com. We've got a great show for you today. But before we get into any of that, Lou, how are you doing? I'm doing great. You sound like you're on steroids. <laughs> you, you all wound yeah. up? You're taking drugs? I mean, yeah. did you sleep okay last night? Yeah, slept <laughs> fine, slept fine. But you got me all wound up on this XM Bank thing, and I'm I'm going to let you uh, share that news with our listeners. But you know, I'm all wound up yeah, about well, that yeah, one now. Yeah, well, I, I'm, I'm not so <laughs> sure that I'm not so wound up. This is in, absolutely incredible. But to start off with, I want to talk about uh, last week's show. Uh, we had two guests, uh, Brian Glowiak, Vice President of SME Education Foundation, and uh, – uh, that was an uh, interesting conversation regarding uh, the Education Foundation's um, input into our manufacturing sector. And uh, Tim, tell us a little bit about uh, Doug Peterson, who's the Global Vice President of uh, HR at Shape Corporation. Yes, Shape Corporation is working with SME Education Foundation, which is Brian Glowiak. He's the VP over there. And Shape is putting $300,000 into Grand Haven High School in Michigan to help throttle those kids up with skills to help fill a skills gap. So that will begin in the 2018-2019 academic year through something called the SME's Partnership Response and Manufacturing Education, their prime program. So Doug Peterson and his great company, it's a global operation that acts local, has stepped up to the plate to help Grand Haven High School. Lou? Uh, Moving on to a couple of news items, and I'm going to save the best for last because I don't want to see you (laughs) spew all over your microphone. Uh, There's a... You know, it's, it's almost difficult. And you, you and I have promised and committed that we're not going to talk about politics on Manufacturing Talk Radio. And we did pretty good for the first two and a half years. Uh, the last year and a half, it's almost hard to talk about manufacturing without getting the politics in the way. And matter of fact, in the last six months, it is definitely impossible to talk about manufacturing without introducing politics. So uh, I'm going to save that part for the last, because like I said, I I don't want to get you all totally crazy. Uh, So we had uh, Trump kicking off a tax reform push with a visit to Missouri uh, this past week. And uh, he's talking about uh, tax policy and he's talking to the Missourians. um, And uh, we're not sure if what he's talking about uh, is ever going to come to pass. Uh, the House and the Senate, uh, they, they're not particularly unified to be able to put this together in, in terms of uh, Mr. President Trump's uh, policies, but we'll just have to wait and see. Uh, Trump would, said he was going to use the month of August to lay the groundwork for a tax reform, um, and uh, before the administration uh, 
and the congressional negotiation negotiators wrapped up their high-level work in September. However, the Congress set to return in less than uh, a week, and Republican leaders hoping to launch a major push to get tax legislation to the president's desk by the end of the year. I don't think that's happening, folks. Really. What's your thought, Tim? Yeah, not a chance. <laughs> yeah, that's not going to happen. You know, frankly, They'll they only get have the budget once budget. You mean the budget that he's, he's going to uh, uh, shut down the Congress with? Yeah, they'll barely get as the budget a, as a result of the, Yeah, as a result of the Mexican wall. Whoa, who is supposed That's to pay right. for the Mexican wall? <laughs> I don't, yeah, I don't know. I that forgot. Too. Yeah, that's not going to work. Uh, Paul Ryan's been talking about tax reform also with Boeing. And, uh, you know, Boeing is a major player in uh, actually XM Bank. And they stand to uh, get a big benefit tax-wise if they could ever get this passed. But that was a little hint in where I'm where I'm heading next. Yeah, I know. About XM Bank. <laughs> All right. So let, let's not put everybody. Uh, what, well, let me talk about Tesla first. They're they're coming out with a new electric long haul truck in September. Um, Long haul, meaning two to three hundred miles. However, they're talking about a uh, up-and-coming battery-operated heavy-duty vehicle that will compete with diesel engines, which can travel a thousand miles on a single tank full or charge, whichever comes first. So that that's kind of interesting. Um, I'm not sure if that's good for the logistics transportation industry or not. I think that will remain to be seen. So let me let me get to what I've been teasing you all about, and that is uh, XM Bank. And uh, I, we understand that uh, Jay Timmons of uh, NAM, National Association of Manufacturers, they launched radio and digital ads through the states of South Dakota, Nevada, and South Carolina. And ours that we talk about, he doesn't have to pay for, but we do beat up on Scott Garrett. And uh, he is, I'm trying to find the quote, and he says, Scott Garrett voted to kill the XM Bank over a dozen times while he was in Congress. So let me ask you, Tim, why would the president then put Scott Garrett as the head of XM Bank? Only if the hidden well, agenda is to kill XM Bank. This is insanity. Well, not only that, XM Bank is one of the uh, government agencies that actually makes a profit. And the administration says that it costs, I don't, I don't remember how many millions, I think it was somewhere it's around 40, 40 to $50 million to operate XM Bank, but they make a profit. So, why are we putting a guy in who hates XM Bank? Does anybody out there in the audience have an answer to that? If so, send an email to me, and I'll give you my email address, lawice at mfgtalkradio.com. I'd really love to hear from you folks, because this is pure insanity. But then again, there's a lot of things that are insane in our present situation. 
I'm getting I'm getting I'm getting a dirty look and a shake of the heads from our uh, production uh, department. So uh, maybe we ought to just <laughs> move on because they could cut us off. You know that. Yeah, that's okay. Right. They could take our little mics away. <laughs> so we'll yeah, we'll talk yeah. about. We'll talk about our guest today, who is John Pardon. He is an executive recruiter with Management Recruiters Indianapolis North. They do something very interesting. They're looking for executives who can work in plant operations, plant management, from design engineering to actual production of what are known as vocational vehicles, which are, in fact, built on a truck body. And they could be a dump truck. They could be a bus for the handicapped. They could be an ambulance, a fire truck, all unique vehicles built for a specific purpose. So let's chat with John Pardon of Management Recruiters, Indianapolis North. We're here today with John Pardon. John is with Management Recruiters, Indianapolis North. They're an executive uh, recruiting and search firm. They do a lot of interesting work in the manufacturing industry, and that's why we have John joining us on Manufacturing Talk Radio. He's going to give us uh, some insights and as we discuss topics that are near and dear to manufacturers' hearts, like the skills gap and the ability of small manufacturers to attract op talent. John, welcome to Manufacturing Talk Radio. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. John, you are in the hot seat when it comes to trying to find a person for a manufacturer. Uh, What are you experiencing in the world of the skills gap as we all hear about it? Absolutely. That's a great question. Something we deal with every day. Uh, In my industry that, that I specifically focus on, and as you mentioned, it is commercial work trucks, uh, part of, you know, the truck equipment world. We are, gosh, uh, the the industries I work, about a $30 billion industry in growing. Uh, We focus on the vehicles that bring maintenance and repair services to your home, to people's industries and businesses. We transport people. We fight fires, provide emergency response and deliver the foods and beverages you enjoy at your local supermarkets. So all of these vehicles are are much different than your traditional mass-produced assembly line, the passenger cars and trucks that you drive every single day. Um, You know, these commercial vehicles are primarily designed, produced individually, on a very custom order basis because of their diverse applications, limited volumes, Um, and really just limitless options. The skills needed to fill these roles are very unique to the industry at large um, because of the amount of customization that these vehicles have. Um, So when we're speaking of the skills gap and, and where I work specifically on the engineering side, and uh, production management and the operations side, people need to wear many, many hats, uh, specifically to the engineering side. It's, it's unique where you need to understand all of the ins and outs of a vehicle. You need to understand electrical uh, schematics. You need to uh, understand the <clears throat> mechanical build of it. You need to understand how they go together. Um, 
in addition to that, have an understanding of how these vehicles are put together. Uh, they're not production lines. They are <clears throat> they built and individually produced and much different than your regular assembly lines. So as the engineers are designing these, they need to take that manufacturability into account and understand what the production side will be doing um, as, as they're building their design. So they need to be on the floor much more than other industries. I work with some clients who it's, it's about a 50-50 split. Engineers are you know, designing half of the time and troubleshooting production half of the time. Um, you know, again, wearing many hats on, on the design, uh, production process, all, all of those type of things. So where we're seeing a, a skills gap on that is is simply the individuals who have the appetite to wear those many hats, how to be a, I wouldn't hesitate to say a generalist because they need to be very good at many different things, but under, being very capable in many different fields. Okay. Are, are these are these vehicles, uh, or can they be programmed and to be able to handle multitasks, or is this a uh, you know drive from the left side of the factory to the right side of the factory, for example, or is it programmed to do multitasks? Sure. Um, it, it depends. Some of the manufacturers do specialize in one or two very very specific. <clears throat> vehicles, whether that is uh, emergency response. Maybe they just make ambulances or dump bodies or <clears throat> they simply, um, <clears throat> or not simply, uh, but solely install cranes on truck bodies, things of that nature. Um, in addition to that, others are very mixed models. Uh, I have recently visited uh, one of my, my best clients who they have four main vehicle lines. They make emergency vehicles. They <clears throat> make fleet delivery trucks. Um, they make cutaway vans. <clears throat> and they, they utilize cranes as well. So it, it, it does depend um, uh, on the specific manufacturer. Some of, again, some of them uh, are very, very specific and do one thing really, really well. Uh, and others have grown to a point where that they can do well in multiple disciplines. John, are you, uh, uh, John, are you primarily placing engineers or are you placing uh, C-suite people into uh, what size companies? Absolutely. It's a great question. Uh, the, you know, one of the reasons I love this industry is the size of the companies. Uh, they are <clears throat> much smaller headcount than your large auto manufacturers. Um, so typically, I would say anywhere between 100 uh, individuals in, in, in one site, all the way up to three to 5,000 in a multi-site uh, facility. You know, this is a great opportunity for engineers to, again, wear many hats, but also be a part of the leadership team, have a seat at the table. Uh, everyone is tasked with making decisions very, very quickly. There's not that hierarchy because they do so many different designs. They take great responsibility, every single person in this organization, and have the opportunity to put their, you know, their fingerprint on 
um, on the actual organization. So size-wise, you know, most of them, you know, again, between the hundred to three thousand in size. And are you placing uh, uh, C-suite people or engineers, or what do you? What kind of absolutely? Skill so a, a little bit of all, since I, I focus so narrowly on on an industry, uh, I am capable and have successfully placed. Um, you know, mid-level engineers, engineering managers, VPs of engineering, uh, but also working on the operations side uh, at, at a director and VP and suite level. Okay. Uh, John, let, let me ask you a question. Um, there's a topic that has been rising its ugly head for uh, a little bit now. Uh, and that is uh, about drugs in the manufacturing workplace. Yes. And uh, we're hearing, uh, actually, I, I did a radio show uh, this morning, a call into West Virginia about this very topic. And there, CNN actually broadcasted a show over the weekend uh, about the topic also. And it seems as though the companies are having a, a, a difficult time uh, not only, you know, for every 10 people that they get, uh, every t- 10, for every 10 applicants, three or four of them are on drugs and would yes. cre- could create an unsafe environment. <laughs> are you uh, at all involved in that? Uh, are unfortunately, you that yes. Well? My, unfortunately, that that is a trend I I see in this industry. Um, I mean, for whatever reason it might be, you know, on the production side, yeah, 30 to 50% of new hires are tested out for drugs uh, within the first few months. Uh, what I see companies doing to really combat this is a lot of attempt to hire on the production side, um, a lot of education on it, and really on the front end and as people go through educating them on proper work safety. Uh, I'm seeing a lot and anecdotally understanding that a lot of the drug abuse starts with an injury, whether they, you know, whatever it might be. I mean, these, these jobs are hard. These people work extremely hard. It's a very physical labor on the production side. Um, it's hot, they're bending, they're going to hurt themselves. So going to a doctor, having some sort of pain medication, and then having that taken away, um, you know, I think it speaks to you know, quite a few different larger problems. Um, but, yes, it, it is absolutely a struggle uh, for these companies. So working on a, a um, you know, attempt to hire basis on there, having ongoing drug screens scheduled out, um, during the first six months of their hire date, um, you know, the turnover on the production side is extremely high. Mm-hmm. But, uh, but if they get to a year, they're going to stay there forever pretty much. So, you know, right. just keeping people the first year, helping them understand, you know, the physical demands, how to properly recoup from some of these injuries and, um, Gosh, just being involved in the community, um, having medical assistance on site um, a lot. A a few, especially the larger companies, have 
in, have utilized on-site medical professionals to come in and help with this uh, on a right. maybe one or two times a month and have seen some improvement on this, but, but definitely still an issue and something it's, it's a problem in all of these companies, it seems. Well, well, I can see that uh, this issue, uh, drugs in the manufacturing workplace, it kind of lends itself to another sales point for autonomous vehicles and uh, uh, robotics and cobots uh, because they don't get stoned. <laughs> That's true. That's true. And uh, so, so it's a good sales point. Uh, you know, it's sort of an insidious uh, view of it, but uh, it's a factual that you know, and some factories have lights out operation 24 hours a day with robots and autonomous vehicles and so on. Uh, but this is beginning to make a real statement for uh, the employee that you better watch out. You could be replaced by a, a robot or an autonomous vehicle. It's true. That's absolutely. And that is, you know, consideration, um, I mean, above and beyond safety and there, but also costs for the organization. Right. Um, that said, the nature of the industry I work, because there's so much customization Right. There still will be a still be a need for human labor uh, because it is uh, all the changeovers that would need to take place, all the retooling. It, it, it would just be, I mean, that that be all you're doing if, if you're building three um, ambulances um, and then four delivery vehicles and then ten different ambulances. Um, it, it takes away some of those benefits of automating systems uh, because of all the changeover and all the customization of these vehicles. Well, I'm not a believer in the fact that robotics and autonomous vehicles are going to replace everybody and we're all going to sit on our porches uh, playing banjos. Uh, but it certainly is uh, a consideration. Um, so what uh, when you go into uh, a new client, uh, what's the uh, process that you go through in uh, discovering what their need is or even discovering a need that they have that you could solve that they don't even know they have a need? So Absolutely. I go in to every new client, and really existing client visit and, and phone call, understanding you know, my role here, my role is to ask inquisitive questions, to listen, to really be there to service them, um, not going in assuming right. that they need A, B, and C because the company I work with that is similar uses A, B, and C. Uh, so really going in, having a an idea of how these organizations are set up in the hierarchy there, but really having an open mind, not going in with any assumptions and just discussing with them um, up front, hearing what they need and really having ideas of, you know, asking what problems they're having, where they're going in two, five years, things of that nature, 
uh, who, right. what type of succession plan have they been doing? Who is going to be retiring soon? What type of product lines do you want to add to your <coughs> product channels? Things of that nature. Um, and then in addition, just as I, you know, read an interesting article or go to a conference or listen to a podcast or any of these other things that isn't in the day-to-day pounding the pavement, finding the best talent in this field, but doing those other things of really researching the industry, sharing those type of ideas, those trends, those new things that are coming to the market with all of my clients because they don't have time to do all of it. I think it's really an additional value that I can be doing. It's just an extra set of eyes, an extra set of ears out in the marketplace, um, and really understanding some of those those trends and changes that are coming. Well, you actually stated one of our mission statements uh, for Manufacturing Talk Radio, that you're right, the manufacturer, the CEO, the plant manager, they don't have time to go doing all the research that they need to find new information, new ways of doing things. And Manufacturing Talk Radio tries to bring that to them. Uh, Absolutely. That's why you're on the show today. (laughs) Thanks. Uh, John, John, in terms of the firms that you work with, are they principally engineering firms or are they manufacturing firms? Or, in fact, is it a blended operation where they do both the engineering and the manufacturing? Oh, absolutely. They do both. They will they have large design teams uh, again because of the the customization and and uh, options they need to offer their clients um, and you know they fabricate the vast majority of uh, the sub assemblies that they use and and do the final assembly paint um, quality checks uh, warranty issues on the back end the whole whole nine yards they're doing everything Okay, the reason I have an appreciation for that is because it turns out I happen to have been born and raised in the state of Wisconsin, and the largest fire truck manufacturer is Oshkosh Corporation that that makes fire trucks for the world, and they're very well-respected fire trucks, but they're all custom jobs. Oh, absolutely, and Oshkosh is a great example of um, you know, these are <clears throat> long-term projects that they do. They have a, gosh, I, I feel for the, um, the fire truck people specifically because dealing with municipalities and, and government organizations, getting everything approved, <laughs> dealing with all of the different, all of the different rules and regulations by each county or state or what have you. Um, yes, uh, yes. None of these, none of these items are, None of these vehicles are are the same, and doing all the engineering changes and specific um, <clears throat> customizations really, um, you know, keeping everything in house to keep the quality really high, and also the speed and just having control over the entire process um, is is why they do everything in house like that. Yeah, I can so, so in terms of uh, the types of uh, employees that can, or candidates that you're looking for for the uh, vocational vehicles, autonomous vehicles, and so on, truck bodies, 
are there a lot of people out there that are from that background that are easily placeable into a, a position? I mean, it's not like you find them hanging out on street corners just waiting <laughs> for a new job at a fire engine manufacturing company. It, that's true. They they are difficult to find, um, which offers you know job security for me. I say, um, mm-hmm. but but there is there is a big need for them. Uh, these these organizations are growing. Um, very. <clears throat> Uh, very well here. It's 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 a growing industry. It's a uh, it's it's just something I feel that not many people are are quite aware of. Um, you know, hearing you know I want to go build airplanes or I want to go to Ford. Those are the things that you know people think of when right. they think of manufacturing as a child and when they're going to college and getting engineering degrees. Where I feel if they are exposed to this very unique an exciting industry, um, you know, it offers someone the ability to, you know, again, wear many hats, grow quickly, have a lot of autonomy in what they do and a lot of authority uh, pretty quickly as, as they prove themselves. And as individuals go there, they stay there. It is um, a little, we'll say slower, a little less stress than being with a large OEM uh, up in Detroit. Um, but at the same time, I have all the opportunities to do the design, um, really focusing on that and not just sitting at a desk all day, but getting up, going around the facility, talking with people, um, working on the <clears throat> Actual manufacturing for This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.